edition of the New Age Boxing Podcast, with me your host Andy White, and with me as always, Martin Theobald. As how always. Doing? How you doing? <laughs> yeah, how you doing, Martin? Alright, alright, thank you. You've bought me a gift today, haven't you? I've bought you a gift of a cold, a little bit of a chest infection, oh. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm under the weather, but you know, I'm committed, I'm here. Yeah, great. I've um, been singing along to Alanis Morissette in the car, so uh, <laughs> I get myself in a vibrant mood. What are we listening to? Which specific... It's from an unplugged album, man. It's good. You think they realise we haven't got much material? What other songs about? Do you know about? Do we have to pay royalties on that? Because that was very similar to the original. It was very close, but because of the backing music, no. Listeners would be mistaken if they thought there was. There yeah, yeah. wasn't. They probably imagine where it was somewhere. Yeah, it's just, you know, you painted right. a verbal picture. Yeah. <coughs> okay. Um, yeah, apologies. <laughs> um, pretty much for everything up to this point. <laughs> yeah, well, that's one minute 15, you're not getting back. Sorry. <laughs> well, we, don't, uh, we don't have a massive amount of material this week, um, but hopefully the sound quality will be better. Um, apologies for last week's um, abortive attempt at having a host on the program because, uh, well, you said it all right, but I didn't. Yeah, but I mean, that's content <laughs> rather than quality. <laughs> I, knew, I knew that was coming. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so what we'll do is we'll go through the weekend review of the fights that we spoke of last week and then just waste a little bit more of your time until we, until we sack yeah, it Yeah, Yeah, wait for the Reaper. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so let's go straight into the action. Um, and we had the Scott Cardle versus Sean Dodd, British lightweight title. Yeah, um, it was on the card up in Liverpool on Sky at the weekend. So Sean Dodd got the fight by um, beating Gary Buckland, late notice, we discussed it last week. He wasn't hugely um, favoured going into the fight, but it was a phenomenal um, tear-up, really. Cardle got cut, I think, uh, two place on the front of his face. He got cut around the back of the head. Scotty Cardle is someone who... um, He's undefeated still at lightweight. Uh, maybe up until a year or so back, there was a lot of uh, criticism of him as being a bit of a boring fighter. And it's almost as if he's now gone out of his way to um, to try and reverse that reputation. And so he was fighting Saturday night with his hands almost down by his knees at points. Um, a very little defence. And Sean Dodd was just catching him at will for a lot of it. And he just didn't seem to learn. So he's a very slick card. We can move out of range fairly quickly. But... Uh, I think he seemed to overrate his, his own defence somewhat. Um, the fight was good. Sean Dodd, I say, was uh, he was an underdog. In my view, he um, he was winning on rounds. But then come uh, come the 12th round, he was he was hurt by Cardle. Cardle would put him up against the ropes and landed flush, I think, two or three right hands off him. And his knees went a bit and he kind of turned his back. And the ref stepped in. Um and it was it was a stoppage in the 12th round, which 
it was a real shame because he didn't give Dodd the opportunity to go down, which he, whether or not he would have, I don't know, but you can't argue the point now yeah. because he didn't get the opportunity to. And so Dodd um, was pinned up against the ropes and the ref jumps in the middle and calls it off. Which in the 12th round of a British title fight, yeah, you'd think that, you would give him a few more seconds. He, yes, he dipped. Yes, he turned his back a little bit and you shouldn't do that. Um, and, you know, in hindsight, I'm sure he wishes he'd have taken a knee. It's fairly similar to, um, you remember the George Groves, Carl Froch first mm-hmm. fight and Howard Foster goes leaping in the middle and like yeah. fucking rugby tackles George Groves out of the way. It wasn't entirely dissimilar to that, but without the the rugby tackle element, he just pulled him kind of to safety and waved off the fight. It wasn't the most decisive action by the referee. He didn't um, didn't launch himself in the middle of it. It was a little bit confusing when he did it, and I say it's just a shame really because Sean Dodd had put up a real valiant effort to that point, and um, you know <coughs> he probably deserved the opportunity to see it through to the final belt, and if he did, he'd have won it on points in my view. So. Um on that, who would you blame out of... Who would you blame, mostly, Sean Dodd or the, or the ref? I think the referee. I mean, he wasn't massively hurt. Yes, he turned himself a little bit, but he could have also turned himself back round. <laughs> the ref should have given it another maybe five, ten seconds of observing before jumping in and calling it off. Because he he deserved it and it was just it was a shame it kind of taints it a little bit for Scott Cardle who comes out of it with a win but ultimately you know he's going to take criticism for it not that it's his fault but uh, you know he's not he probably would have gone on and won it anyway probably could have stopped him but uh, you know if Dodd had been able to go down take a knee take a you know seven eight count to get back to his feet he could have covered up for the remainder of the round it would have made it a 10-8 round to Cardle but that, you know, the cards would have been incredibly close at that point, but Dodd could have won it and caused a bit of an upset. So, who would I blame? Maybe Dodd for not showing, um, you know, the ring intelligence to get down and, and yeah. take a knee um, and, you know, just take that opportunity. But ultimately, the ref, I think, did a, a relatively poor job. Because when you mentioned the, the Frotch uh, Groves thing, he, <laughs> I remember watching that and, he, and the ref almost dives in like he's got a bet. Hinging on it, or yeah, yeah, he picked that round. Like <laughs> he got decent odds in oh, the build. Up. Chance, <laughs> yeah, and it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Scott Cardle is the matchroom fighter out of those two. It's on a matchroom card. I'm sure the conspiracists out there would say, you know, it favoured him somewhat to have the fight stop there, because into the twelfth round he was probably going to lose it on points. Um, I think that's probably a little bit unfair. But on the other hand, with the shit state of the refereeing on it. <laughs> it kind of leads itself to questions a little bit. Okay, so speaking about uh, close stoppages that uh, went to yep. the... <laughs> let's, <coughs> let's talk about the uh, the Smithfielding fight. Yeah, so, um, you know, I made my prediction last week that Fielding could take this into the later <laughs> rounds. You know, man him up a little bit in the ring, rough him up and, uh, you know, possibly get a later stoppage. I'm trying to see if I've got the, uh, the exact... If you've got the note, I'm pretty sure, actually thinking about it, the... You don't worry, looking for the notes now. Because what I predicted was that Callum Smith would get a first round stoppage. Uh, and that's precisely what happened. Don't worry about the notes, don't worry about it. I, I, yeah, I mean, I'll trust you on that. I'm, yeah, no, trust me, I'll get three points for that. Yeah, um, bonus one because I picked a round. I'm sure what they go towards. But <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was meant to be maybe not a 50 50 fight, maybe more a 70 30 fight in, in Smith's favour. But he destroyed Fielding. He put him down three times in the first round, the last time of which Fielding 
didn't get back up or wasn't able to carry on. Um, it was impressive, you know. Smith looks huge as a super middleweight. Like he's a big, big man. He's still young. I'm sure he'll move up in weight in the future. Uh, Fielding, I don't know. He didn't turn up really, or I don't know. He we said earlier about ring intelligence with Sean Dodd and not being able to take the knee when he perhaps should have. Which, don't get me wrong, it's easier said than done. Me sat here in front of a microphone saying he ought to do that when actually you're getting pummeled. Um, Rocky Fielding, the same accusation could possibly be you know, laid at his door. That Cannon Smith puts him down early doors in the first round, I think in the first minute. Um, and it wasn't a, a hard knockdown, it was more of a flash knockdown. Fielding kind of sat there on the floor, got himself together, kind of had a little smile, got back up. And then Smith still kind of goes into him, goes hunting him around the ring a little bit. And every now and then, you could see, like, I sat watching it in the living room, and I could predict what was going to happen, that Smith would pin him against the ropes, fire off three, four, five shots, uh, little combos, and then back off from him. And, like, invite Fielding back into the middle of the ring. <clears throat> and all Smith was doing at that point was then just covering himself up, hands in front of the face, arms covering the body, tucked up nicely. Fielding would come back, throw his own combos of like two, three shots, at which point Smith would then open up after that. So then about a minute and a half later into that first round, exactly the same thing happens again. Smith pins him up against the ropes, throws some shots, lets Fielding throw his own, doesn't really bother too much about it, covers up, walks him back into the middle of the ring. So Smith backs up and then throws this beautiful left counter hook that just drops Fielding at that point, the second knockdown. Gets back up and then Smith goes in for the kill and just relentlessly like battered him on the ropes. And, uh, yeah, it was impressive. I mean, that moves him up into the um, well. I don't know. It's uh, Eddie Hearn <coughs> came up with some uh, cock and ball story afterwards about he's going to go to a WBC convention and push now and rally for Callum Smith to be the number one contender for uh, the title, which what is title? the WBC one. The um, real one. Yeah, the real one. They've only, to be fair to them, they only have like real champions and then silver and intercontinental. Right. So the real one, which is WBC. Yeah, yeah, the real one, which is held by Badu Jack, who recently beat George Groves for it or to retain it. Um, but the thing is, the WBC convention happened what about three weeks ago now, two weeks ago, and won't happen again for another year. So Eddie Hearn saying he's going to turn up and like rally for Callum Smith to get his title opportunity soon. Like, good luck, mate, because there won't be anyone there. But uh, <laughs> enjoy. Is it this the other day? Is it straight after the fight, yeah. Even though the convention was three weeks ago? Yeah. So anyone that has any sort of like awareness of how important that would be would presumably know that it happened three weeks ago. And therefore... Yeah, but how many people that sit and watch a Sky card on a Saturday night <laughs> are going to be aware of that fact? And how many people can Eddie Hearn <laughs> make it sound very convincing to that he's going to go to the WBC convention. You can, mate, but it's in 11 and a half months. <laughs> yeah. So At which time the landscape would have changed. Yeah, book your flight now. You'll get it cheap, I'm sure. So, um, yeah, he, he moves himself into a position whereby he's um, soon probably going to end up in a mandatory position to fight Jack. He could probably do with fighting a gatekeeper-type fighter in the meantime to prepare himself for it. But, um, yeah, it's uh, he's moving himself nearer to that opportunity to fight. Okay, um, just to sort of go back slightly, um, we uh, three knockdowns in a round. Yeah, that is. How does that work? Three, am I right? You get knocked down three, three times. Three times you get knocked down. 
fight is automatically no, ended? No, not anymore, no. Right, there used okay. to be a three knockdown rule. Right, so now, so what is the actual rule now then? You could be, I mean, think back to Martin Murray versus uh, Torres a few weeks back when Torres kept taking a knee middle of the round. Oh, yeah. He got put down five times, I think it yeah. was, in one round. There is no rule. You can get knocked down ten times. So th- all right, so taking a knee, right, is, is exactly the same as getting knocked on your back. Yeah, it's voluntarily getting knocked down. So it counts as a knockdown. You'll still get given a 10 count. Uh, there's no longer a standing 8 count in boxing, uh, although there is in the amateurs. But it used to be that the ref, in that situation where Dodd was getting pummeled against the ropes, could have sort of stood in the middle and um, or, you know, given him a standing 8 count to regain his composure. That doesn't exist anymore. So the only option for a fighter in that position is to have the awareness and the ring awareness to... To know the rules. Yeah, to get themselves down, <laughs> yeah. um, and you know, like just compose themselves. Yeah. But it doesn't. You don't see it that often, and it's it's something that fighters don't utilize. Well, uh, Torres definitely utilized. He utilized it, it well. <laughs> he utilized it on behalf of every other fucker out there, right? Not many people do this. So I'm going to try and do it a record yeah. amount of times yeah. in one fight. Like, he won that record outright. Okay, um, let's move on to the Ricky Burns fight then. <sighs> yeah. Uh, Ricky Burn. I don't know what's happened to Ricky Burn. He used to be an exciting fighter. He's a two weight world champion under Frank Warren. He was, uh, you know, blazing. <laughs> Sounds a bit ghetto. Sorry. Um, pun. It was a pun. So yeah, yeah. Because okay. <laughs> he burned himself out. You a dick. <laughs> um, right. So yeah, he was he was flying under Frank Warren, and then he left and went to Eddie Hearn, and he's just gone to pot. Frankly, like he's. His career under Frank Warren was going really, really well. He was a two-weight world champion. He moves over to Matchroom with Eddie Hearn, uh, and it's just not really worked out for him. And he he doesn't perform. He got smashed by Terence Crawford for his world title, and Terence Crawford's a quality fighter, so there's no shame in that uh, at all. But he's now, you know, he's been moved away from Scotland, where he had this big following up in Scotland. He's now fighting on undercards in England, or he went out to America and fought. And he just looks like half the fighter he was a few years back. Maybe that's age catching up with him. I don't know. But he won Saturday night uh, against Joshua King from Australia. But he just... I actually ended up going out to the shop for some milk during the fight because I was just so bored watching You didn't even need any milk. I didn't need milk. I went and found a cow, man, and did my own. (laughs) What what are you doing, man? Just pouring the milk down the toilet so I can go out and get some milk? Yeah, yeah. It was that bad. And you could see it from early doors as well. It wasn't... That was an opponent Burns should have been able to dismantle fairly quickly and put away, and he didn't, and you could see he wasn't going to. And I don't know what what they do with him now, really, whether they're going to try and probably cash him out over in America, or alternatively, give him to someone like Scotty Cardle as a bit of a, a builder for him. Okay, so give us some context then. When Ricky Burns first came on the scene, what was the hopes for him? Aside from, you know, every fight that comes on scene, everyone thinks they're going to be a world champion. But what was the realistic hopes for There weren't career? realistically massive hopes for Ricky Burns. What he did was he uh, built himself. And so he's got a few losses on his record towards the start of his career. Um, and yet he went on to win world titles, I say, in two weight divisions against the odds, ultimately. He was a guy that, I think it's Coatbridge that he's from up in Scotland. He was, uh, I think he probably not these days he's based himself down in London with uh, Tony Sims working with the likes of Kevin Mitchell but when he was based out of Scotland he used to uh, go and work in his local sports shop Um, I I think he did it voluntarily even because it kept his feet on the ground and he was 
Uh, you know, he was painted as a very, very nice person going around and just working in the community kind of thing. So he's always been a very kind of down-to-earth, uh, likeable character. It's just, going back to your original question, there were never that many high hopes. So he's probably overachieved in his career anyway, and that's possibly... If he never won those world titles, then right now you'd be saying that's an acceptable level against the likes of Josh King and not blowing them out early doors. But he did win the world titles. Now you probably have an elevated expectation of him that he's possibly never going to get back to. And it's a shame to see him in these meaningless, pointless fights on undercards for Sky. So could it be a case of that he's lost his hunger because he's kind of achieved what... Maybe, yeah. I think achieve. maybe the other thing is that he's lost his hunger taking these crappy little fights on undercards on Sky. Like Maybe if he got back to a world title level, and I'm not saying against Terence Crawford because Terence Crawford would just obliterate him again, but... Um, Terence Crawford's moving up in weight anyway so there there are opportunities there uh, there are other matchroom fighters that he can go out and fight and they'd be good domestic fights so you think he's taking this as an easy option I don't think he's taking it I think Eddie Hearn probably doesn't know what to do with him these days so there's enough lightweight fighters in the matchroom stable so the likes of Kevin Mitchell the likes of Luke Campbell Luke Campbell would be a great fight for him because he's a hot prospect coming up um, and Ricky, Ricky Burns, Burns is possibly you know their their career trajectories would meet in the middle somewhat yeah. um, and it would be a massive test for Luke Campbell so something like that I'm sure would get the fire burning a little bit for him burning her fuck off your puns <laughs> um, would, they don't count if they're unintentional <laughs> would um, would give him an opportunity to you know try and reinvigorate himself a little bit because I think that's probably what he's missing in his career Okay, fair enough. You need something to get the blue touch paper lit, Ricky Burns. Yeah. Okay, right, let's... Uh, that was a bit of a crappy pun. Okay. We'll move on. <laughs> I'm going to ignore it, I'll be honest. Why have I got um, Timothy Bradley versus Brandon Rios on my... Is that another fight that, ha- that happened? Yeah, out in America. Right. Um, Bradley we, versus we, Rios. We didn't preview that, though, did we? We didn't preview. No, I've got it in the preview. But, uh, yeah, it was out in America. Um, it was... Uh, seen as a close fight Timothy Bradley ended up winning this one a ninth round knockout um, the reason I suppose for the intro A is that Brandon Rios announced his retirement after the fight which isn't a huge shock he's a man who struggles at the weight a little bit you can see that he's a bit fleshy going into it um, but it's it too, moves he's too heavy well, naturally he's too heavy. He's naturally, well, I don't or know if he's naturally, too, too I think he's naturally too lazy and doesn't bother <laughs> getting himself into, <laughs> I can say that, he's in America, like, he ain't going to come and find me. And he just said he's block knocked off. Yeah, <laughs> and he's retired, so he can't find me anymore. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, he he doesn't, I don't know, looking at him, you wouldn't think he's like a, a well-weight boxer. Looking at Timothy Bradley, the geezer's like made out of chiseled stone. He's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's a, he looks like an athlete, whereas Rios never has done and still doesn't, and probably in a year's time certainly won't, because he'd have abused that non-athlete lifestyle. Yeah, um, him and Butterbean in the ring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think him and Butterbean could be a nice fight in a few years. <laughs> um, so the reason is possibly of interest, there's um, Amir Khan, Timothy Bradley, uh, Terence Crawford, who we've just spoken about. They're all uh, names that Bob Arum has spoken about as potentially last fights for Manny Pacquiao. So Manny Pacquiao's kind of uh, intonated th- that he will retire in April next year, one more fight, and then he's looking at getting out of the sport to go and do his uh, political work over in the Philippines. Timothy Bradley has fought Pacquiao twice already. He beat him once on a controversial points decision, and he lost on points. 
So Bob Arum has come out and said that Bradley is a potential um, like best fight. of three sort of decide. Yeah, fight. yeah. So Amir Khan's doing his standard pleading for a fight, like a somebody little somebody fight me, somebody fight, somebody with a big name. Give me some. You fucking idiot. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he's like embarrassing. No, no, he's embarrassing. <laughs> like, he's a really good. I like watching Amir Khan. I hate listening to Amir oh, Khan. Oh right, okay. that's the difference. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah. He needs to give it up somewhere. It's kind of the opposite for me of Mayweather. I like listening to him. But I don't. I find his fighting boring as hell. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that agree with me. But yeah, listening yeah. to him when he talks about himself, I think, wow, that's, that's the kind of ego you appreciate. Yes, yes, that's not just elevated opinion of yourself. That's something stratospheric. You know? Yeah, yeah. Did you see uh, on a side note of Mayweather with Halloween recently? I don't know if you saw it or not. <laughs> no. There's a picture he'd put of himself on like Instagram uh, where he dressed up in this uh, black like onesie suit with a, a skull kind of face <laughs> that he'd got on. And he's posed. I think he had a gun in his hand. I might be making that up. I think he had a gun in his hand. But yeah. under his arms, he's just got like thousands of dollar bills. Oh, and he just put a uh, and like a note underneath it saying like dead presidents, as in like the dead presidents uh-huh. under the dollar bills. And that's it. Like that's that's all he's doing for Halloween. He's just chilling out in his house with a load of money. <laughs> with a load of money. <laughs> Every single picture that geezer puts anywhere is just him with a load of money. Yeah. yeah it's uh, anyway. So yeah, going off off point a little bit, but. Um, yeah, so whether Bradley gets a third Pacquiao fight, whether Khan gets it, or whether Terence Crawford gets it, I don't know. I'd be surprised if it's Khan, um, because he fights with Al Heyman on the PBC stuff, and there's a big legal dispute ongoing between Top Rank and PBC, so sure, I'd Khan. be shocked if it was Khan. Um, and that really leaves Crawford or Timothy Bradley, so it may well end up being Bradley in April. Um, Amir Khan, what? I just don't... When's his next fight? He hasn't got one. When was He's, his last fight? What was his last fight? It was... Ah, what was his name? Uh, Chris Algieri a few months back. Um, but is who, he technically a boxer anymore? <laughs> he's, he's a boxer <laughs> slash beggar. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, just seems to spend most of his time begging people for fights. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I was outside the co-op earlier and he was like offering people <laughs> what, out. You want to fight, mate? Yeah. Hold my dog, someone. <laughs> I'll need to do some begging. So, um, because he seems to be... And I, and I don't know if this is the correct way to view it, but in my head, he seems to be at a level where he's better than a lot of fighters in that division, but not quite at the same level as the top fighters in that division. Yeah, yeah. I think the top fighters have always been Pacquiao and Mayweather in that division. Yeah. And underneath it, you've got some really good fighters. So you've got the likes of Timothy Bradley, you've got Amir Khan, you've got Keith Thurman, you've got Kel Brook. Now, Kel Brook is a fight that Khan could sign tomorrow. Like Amir Khan was in Liverpool, sat next to Eddie Hearn at the weekend at the uh, the show. That's a fight that Hearn has wanted, Brooke has wanted, and Khan just keeps putting it off in the vague hope that he can chase down these Pacquiao and Mayweather fights. Which, I mean, he wasted nearly a year of his career turning down other fights, waiting for Mayweather to sign on the dotted line. It never happened. And, you know, I pray to God that if Mayweather comes back, it still never happens. Just to teach Khan a lesson of, like, focus on your own career. Don't worry about someone else's. But he doesn't do that. He's just, he's obsessed with getting these. He I think he get, sees himself. Is he himself. not getting encouragement or something? Or by, by Pacquiao or the Mayweather camps? Or, in fact, what oh, you're yeah. just about to, I assume, say is that he sort of views himself as better. Yeah, I think he sees himself, we're saying about the likes of Bradley, Brooke, Thurman, mm. I think he sees himself above that lot and into the elite level of Pacquiao and Mayweather. 
whereas Pacquiao and Mayweather don't need him, he needs them. Uh, and that's the difference. So surely the most logical thing for him to do would be take on everyone in that division. Clean up that division. Yeah, go and as beat. soon as he can, and then hope that yeah. in the meantime that one of, or both of those fighters don't retire, and then he can say, look, I've beaten everyone, so you've yeah. got to fight me now. So, I mean, brilliantly, Danny Garcia, who beat him at light welterweight, um, has moved up to welterweight as well now. So he's in the same division. So he could take that fight. They're both PBC fighters. They could. There aren't the politics involved. That fight could be made, I'm sure. But again, he doesn't talk about fighting Danny Garcia, despite the fact that Danny Garcia chinned him and left him sat in the corner <laughs> and like, walking towards a ref like he had about 30 pints. Um, but he doesn't talk about wanting that fight, which you would think if you've lost to the man, you would want to go back and avenge that defeat. But he doesn't bother about that. It's like, that's sweep it under the carpet. I want to fight Mayweather and Pacquiao. So Prove it, it first. So could it just be about money from then? Money I don't status. think it's probably even about money. I think it's about ego. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I I find it really difficult to comprehend why you wouldn't just take one of the other top fights and prove that you're that level. But uh, I'm right in thinking that he's held at such a sort of a certain esteem now within that community that he can pretty much he could pretty much wait for another year and that people would still be he could still take the brick fight in a year, eighteen months. Yeah, absolutely. So he could sit on his ass for eighteen months and he'd still take that fight. But he's wasting his own career, doesn't he? Yeah. If he wants to build a legacy, How old is he now? Uh, late twenties, early thirties, uh, late twenties, I guess. Um, you know, if he wants to build a legacy and be spoken about as a, a good slash great fighter, he's got a fight. <laughs> he doesn't do it. And so. do fifteen minute ring entrances. Entrances. Yeah, that is that. Yeah, yeah. I'll, ne- I'll never forget that. <laughs> you showed me that. That was the most hilarious <laughs> thing. If you ever get a chance to um, look up. Nassim Hamid's entrance versus now what was the guy's name? Kevin Kelly. Was it him though? I thought it was uh, an African African dude. It was Kevin Kelly. Oh, okay, right, fair enough. It was Kevin Kelly. So it's his ring entrance, and uh, he stands behind a uh, like a he's creating a silhouette, doesn't he? Like Shirt. a paper mache sheet almost. Yeah, really. yeah, which is projecting the background, and uh, he dances away. And if you've ever seen. I mean, you're sort of our age, like early 30s, you'll have, you'll have seen Nassim Hamid when you're younger and anyone older than that will obviously be familiar with him. Um, but uh, <laughs> he used to have these crazy re-entrances. And, uh, Flying carpets. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> particular one. Punching heads <laughs> off, um, uh, off skeletons on Halloween when he fought Wayne McCulloch. That's it just a favourite. Really eccentric. And, um, and it was, Martin was telling me about this, uh, this particular fight against Kevin Kelly and he's and he does this uh, elongated like we we're saying the projected sort of silhouette of himself dancing away and uh, didn't you say there was something wrong turns out there was something wrong yeah the music that. went on longer than he'd anticipated I think and so it wasn't designed there, to be no there was going to be a cut to the music that would intro him to the crowd <laughs> but that never came about so he's still dicking about behind this curtain <laughs> Kevin Kelly's in the ring and he's leaning over the ropes oh, getting absolutely <laughs> get out here get out here <laughs> I want to smash your face in yeah. it's hilarious because then, then when the, the when the sheet finally comes up he then still takes his time <laughs> off the ring yeah he's not rushing it at that point oh, it's either. absolutely hilarious it's how much he's losing the plot in the ring but yeah Nassim Hamid yeah, I always used to enjoy watching it yeah real shame money Okay, so um, there's no fights or anything on this weekend? No, there's nothing of interest. The weekend after, there's some good stuff, so uh, we'll be able to preview that next week. But, uh, yeah, this weekend's a bit of a dry spell, okay, which so you'll be we'll, familiar um, with. 
suitcase. <laughs> Why? Every time. <laughs> just have to go. These people listening to this, are just, they know far too much about the intimate areas of my life. Yeah. Yeah, well, too fucking right, because you held me up on Tinder for 15 minutes or whatever before we got to work. Okay, so we've got three <laughs> questions to go through. <laughs> um, like, just to pad this out a bit more, <laughs> even though even though if you're a boxing fan, you've probably switched off by now. Um, if you're into your Tinder, though. Nah, anyway, let's go. <laughs> uh, right, so we've got a few questions. Well, actually, you've, you've mentioned, you've sort of, uh, you've mentioned three boxers who you see, you say that they seem to be far too good for their own good. Almost the opposite of Nassim Hamid, right? And, uh, sorry, not Nassim Hamid, uh, Amir Khan. Thinks he's too good for his own good. Yeah. Um, but these guys, so we're looking at Andre Ward, um, uh, Rigandau, and uh, Lomachenko. Yeah. And on, on the Andre Ward thing, that's the same uh, weight division as Carl Frotch, right? It is, yeah. Um, so... Well, tell me about why you think it's Andre Ward is too good for his own good, then. Right, well, the reason for this is that um, Lomachenko fought at the weekend. Now, we haven't talked about it because it was a rubbish fight, frankly. Um, and we had too much other stuff to talk about. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we can't rush this stuff, can we? Um, <laughs> so, Lomachenko fought at the weekend. We'll come on to Lomachenko's career in a little while. Um, but it just made me think about fighters and it's probably similar in a way to Amir Khan these fighters are wasting their careers away um, not being able to get the fights that they probably deserve but for a different reason yeah the fights they deserve or want because frankly there's nobody that's kind of in their weight division that's either got the balls or uh, wants to fight them so yeah you've mentioned Andre Ward so for reference Andre Ward um He's 31 years old. He won gold at the 2004 Olympics for America. As a professional, he's got a record of 28 wins, no losses, no draws. Um, so he's he's got the WBA super title at super middleweight. Um, and he's had the WBC title. So some of the opponents and names that he's beaten. Uh, he was involved in the Super 6 tournament going back a few years. So he beat, right. um, or he's beaten in his career. Carl Froch, Arthur yeah, Abraham, thought, yeah. Chad Dawson, Mikhail Kessler, Sakio Bika. So they're all like top level fighters in that yeah, of that era. Fight, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's schooled them as well. He's he's beaten and convinced. Like Carl Froch, he Carl Froch doesn't even complain about that loss. Um, you know, he when it was mooted about the idea of Carl Froch getting the rematch with him before he retired. Froch was saying, like, he almost admitted, what's the point in taking it because I'm not going to win it? And frankly, like, Andre Ward isn't exciting enough for, you know, it doesn't interest people. He's not an exciting fighter. <clears throat> that he would almost, like, Froch would rather fight someone like Golovkin, who's going to come out and try and take his head off, than Andre Ward, who's going to stylistically be a pain for him. So, looking at Andre Ward's career, because he's pulled out of a fight this week. This is the other reason for talking about it. Was he's pulled out of a fight? He was meant to be fighting on the um, Cotto versus Canelo undercard in Vegas in a couple of weeks, and he's pulled out because he's got a swollen knee. Apparently, now they had problems getting an opponent for him. The first opponent they picked, the Nevada State Commission, um, actually ruled that he couldn't fight that opponent because they didn't deem it to be an even enough matchup. Jesus. <laughs> and so they rejected it. So he had to go and get another opponent. 
Um, it's me, no, you're good. Yeah. Well, or you pick shit opponents. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, right, he has only fought, <laughs> get this, twice since 2012, <laughs> um, which was Edwin Rodriguez in 2013, and then in June this year, he fought Paul Smith of Britain. Do you know the stats as to what those, how long those fights lasted? Or not? Uh, I can't remember the Rodriguez one. The Smith one, I think, was about six, seven rounds of just him beating the shit out of Paul Smith, <laughs> which is great to see because Paul Smith's awful and annoying. Um, so, yeah, it's great to watch that. But it wasn't great in a sense of Paul Smith got that fight because he lost twice to Arthur Abraham. He didn't get it because he's world level, elite level. So these, this was like a comeback fight for uh, Andre Ward. So you'd almost give him a free pass. He's making a comeback because he's been out for so long. So he takes on someone like Paul Smith, who's not quite world class. But the problem being, this was a fight that was a, a catchweight because there's now talk that Andre Ward is going to move out of super middleweight um, at 168 pounds and move up to light heavyweight. Right, so that was my next question. Is there scope for him to move up? Yes, so he took the fight at catchweight, I think it was about £172 above the super middleweight limit. There were issues that he had with his promoter, uh, who was a guy called Dan Goosen from South Africa. Uh, Dan Goosen actually died um, in September 14. There were issues around getting... I don't know the ins and outs of it particularly, but he's ended up signing with Rock Nation, uh, which is Jay-Z, the musician. Right. So he's now signed up with Rock Nation, who have moved into sports promotion. Um, <clears throat> that was earlier this year. So, yeah, they're talking now about he's going to move up to light heavyweight. So he took the fight with Paul Smith, which was his last outing, uh, kind of catchweight. The reason for moving up to light heavyweight is that there's talk of him now fighting um, Sergei Kovalev, who's the kind of feared, unbeaten Eastern European like animal of a bloke. So that'd be a really, really like good the fight in a Rocky film. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's the one who laughs like when he knocks opponents out, and he stood on the other side of the ring, like encouraging them to get back up and, and come. Ha, up. Ha, ha. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's talk of Ward moving up to light heavyweight because, frankly, like the rest of the super middleweights, you've got uh, James DeGale, you've got Badu Jack, who said about earlier, um, and then that's about it, really. There's there's just not that much competition for him there. Carl Froch has shown no interest in coming back to fight him, despite the fact he makes you know conversation about making a comeback every half hour. Actually, uh, yeah, well, okay, that kind of renders my question irrelevant then, because um, somebody was, well, actually, I heard on the news the other day that um, there was only a brief sort of skip skip past it, which was... Uh, he wants to come back Carl and fight Fr- the girl. No, well, Carl oh. Froch has said that he trains every day because he hasn't, completely ruled out the idea of coming oh, back for fights. But he didn't mention DeGale. That's what the talk's about. He no, said, basically, the quote was that he said... Um, surely DeGale would want that, wouldn't <clears> he? <throat> I'm sure he would. But oh. I think the quote was that he would... He was tempted to make a comeback, fight DeGale, because it's an easy win for him, and he gets to hold that belt one more time, then retire with that belt. The stupid thing is, he could have fought DeGale for that belt when he held it, didn't, dropped the belt, De Gale won the belt against Andre Durrell, and now he's talking about coming back and winning the belt back and then retiring with the belt. Like, either come back, this is my issue, right? Same with David Hay. Come back, that's fine. It'd be great to have you back. Like, enjoy watching both fighters. Or shut the fuck up <laughs> and don't talk about coming back. One or the other. There's no point in talking about coming back if all you're going to do. If I was him... And I had Rachel Cordenly as a missus at home. I wouldn't be coming back. 
She listens to it, so sorry, Claire. <laughs> <laughs> She'd understand. <laughs> She'd understand. <laughs> so, yeah, I wish he would just shut up about it. Or do it. Yeah, well, I think that's a fair point to make. Um, yeah. It does get frustrating, doesn't it? I mean, George Foreman's still talking about coming back into it, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> he's flogging those grills out. <laughs> if his grills go under. Yeah. So, all right, so Andre Ward, as I say, Olympic gold medalist and just cannot get a fight in the division for whatever reason. Um, so another person in a very similar position is uh, Guillaume Rigondel. So Cuban fighter, he's got two Olympic gold medals. So 2000 and 2004. He's super bantamweight. So, same as we'll come on to later, uh, Friggin' Quampton. Yeah. Friggin' Quampton? <laughs> Quig and Frampton. That's not getting into um, that either. <laughs> so, right, here's the issue with Riggan now. He's 35 years old. He turned pro six years ago in 2009 uh, at 29 years of age. So, in six years, his record now is he's got 15 wins, no losses, no draws. So they kind of rushed him a little bit into uh, getting to world level, which is great, which is what you'd want to see. So he's held both the WBA super title and the WBO title, uh, super bantamweight. So in 2009, he turned pro. And this is almost like the start of a bit of a tragic story. He he turned pro with the Irish promoter, Gary Hyde, um, who's not that well known. So, you know, we talk quite often on here about, say, Eddie Hearn, Frank Warren, the likes of Goodwin Promotions over here. We talked earlier about Rock Nation. Uh, you know, we speak about PBC, Top Rank, uh, Al Heyman over in America. These kind of names come up quite frequently. Golden Boy promotion. Gary Hyde uh, built up a relationship uh, out in Cuba and took on Rigondale when he came out of the Olympics uh, in 2008. Sorry, 2004. He uh, built up the relationship and he actually brought Rigondale over to Ireland uh, in 2011 to fight Willie Casey. So, his standout win would undoubtedly be in 2013. He fought uh, Nonito Donaire, the Filipino Flash, who was recently touted uh, as coming over here to fight Scott Quigg, potentially. So, at that point, Rigondale had 12 fights on his record, and he's fighting for a world title against who was, one of, at the time, deemed to be kind of pound for pound in the top three in the world, Donaire. Uh, and he beat him. He beat him on uh, on points. At the time, Donaire had a record of 31 wins, one loss, no draws. And Rigondale's entering that, uh, I'll say, in a 12th professional fight. <coughs> Since that point in 2013, he's <laughs> had three fights, uh, and none of which have been this year. And so he's, st- he's now left Gary Hyde, <coughs> slightly acrimoniously. It's been a bit of a... Uh, I don't know, a bit publicly falling out, is a kind of unknown, really. I'm sure if you dug around into it, you could find out, but he doesn't really have public managers and promoters, so he's not promoted by any of these big names still. It's kind of a little bit unknown what he's doing. So his last fight was on New Year's Eve last year out in Japan when he took on a guy who was like far bigger than he was uh, just to get a fight, ultimately. Um he got flawed in it. He kind of, he, he almost, as I said about Scott Cardle earlier, making his style more exciting. Rigondale kind of did the same thing. So uh, I'll come on to a kind of overriding point about these later, but his amateur style is very like safety first. So don't get hit and just land the jabs and land the, the shots and get out of the way again. And so it's almost as if he was like throwing that out a window for one night, like he had a couple of beers or whatever, New Year's Eve, and, uh, and went out and had a bit of a scrap. And it was good fun to watch, but 
I say he hasn't fought again since then. He's due out in uh, December this year. He was stripped by the WBO for inactivity um, and moved to champion in recess, as we discussed last week, by the WBA. So that Scott Quigg could become their super champion. Um, so that he could fight Frampton. Yeah. So here's... Like, okay, so just, just sort, of, sort of like to interject slightly. Um, two questions. Can you move up a weight rank, weight division? You could do that as well, right? This one, the point I'll come on to in a bit, but yeah. Um, and the second question would be something I've touched on before. Um, surely this is what... Um, Compulsory fights are designed like for like so. If you're that good, presumably you should be Klitschko in the same position as Klitschko at least. Okay, I'll give you. I completely agree. <coughs> I'll give you an example. Liam Smith won the WBO light middleweight title recently. That was a vacant title that was held previously by Demetrius Andrade. Liam Smith was at one point the mandatory to fight Andrade. Uh, and they entered negotiations, and then I don't know how long it went on for, but basically, like he bottled it and didn't want to fight him, so they didn't. And then Andrade goes off looking for another opponent. Granted, he strung it out a little bit, and so looks for another opponent. And this kind of goes on until the point that the WBO then stripped him because he hadn't had a fight for so long, and so the title became vacant. And Liam Smith fought for that title and won it. And so, yes, you may have a mandatory challenger, which Liam Smith was, but if Liam Smith don't want to fight him, then he goes, nah, it's all right. And then if he can't find an opponent, that governing body will strip you of your title. So it wasn't necessarily Andrade's fault because he offered the fight out. So then, so if you're that good, presumably the only thing you've got to hope that you can offer is lots of money. Because yeah, no, you're right. <coughs> yeah. This is what it comes down to. So Rigondeaux has the WBA, or had up until a week and a half ago, the WBA super title, of which Scott Quigg had the WBA regular title. As you were saying at the time, surely it makes sense for the lower fighter to fight the upper one and kind of find out who's the best. That never happened, right? And Eddie Hearn comes out and quite openly says, look, what's the point in taking the fight? There's not that much money involved and it's a huge risk. And so if you're looking at the balance of do you want to take a fight for very little money and a huge risk, you probably don't. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah. I mean, on the other hand, you would hope that you would want to cement your legacy as a fighter and you would want to, you know, get an amount of money. They're not going to go short of money at that level. Um, If you you were literally sitting, if you were sitting, if somebody offered you, you, you know, take you back to being 16 years old do you want to train to be a boxer I don't think your overwhelming ambition would be just kind of like float around at some stage yeah don't take any too too much of a balance (laughs) do you think you're going to aim for the top I'm going to aim for the top nah not me mate I'm just going to chill out and just (laughs) float around I'm going to aim for near the top until it gets a bit hard (laughs) and I'll probably just duck it a little bit calling really good people out yeah they're not interested in fighting me and then just waste my life away it doesn't doesn't really seem a relatable attitude no so you've got Frampton and Quigg fighting uh, next year in February and I guarantee you Sky will not mention Rigondale's name during the whole build-up to it. Um, and he gets ignored because he's, as you said earlier, kind of too good for his own good and he doesn't bring enough money to the table. He's not a huge attraction. Um, I mean, it's... What he needs to cur- do is, unfortunately for him, he needs to come from somewhere other than Cuba. He needs Someone to come from somewhere Brazil other than Cuba, or... <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he needs to have a more 
attractive style to watch. So where you were saying earlier, you get bored watching Mayweather, yeah. the same criticism gets levied at Rigondale, that he's too slick, he doesn't attack, he doesn't go in when he should. Uh, he's happy to, you know... Yes, he's got, I think, 10 knockouts from 15 wins, so it's not a bad ratio at all. It's 66% knockout. But he doesn't attack. He he gets those stoppage wins just by wearing you down rather than like, actually going in for the kill. So, right, the third fight we're going to talk about is Vasil Lomachenko, who are saying uh, fought at the weekend. Another, you'll see a common theme here. He's got two Olympic gold medals. So he won at 2008 and 2012. He's from the Ukraine. His amateur career, right? <laughs> 396 wins, one loss. Jesus, he's only 27. He's only 27. <laughs> so that Christ. tells you the kind of level this fight is at. He's got one loss in his like, amateur career. He like, lost his hand when he was eight and they replaced it with cast iron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So, I mean, to compare that, Rigondeau has... Uh, right, 374 wins as an amateur and 12 losses. So that's a pretty impeccable, impeccable record. Jesus. But yeah, Lomachenko, 396 oh. wins, one loss. So when he decided to turn pro, which was 2013, after the London Olympics, his first fight, Jose Ramirez. So Jose Ramirez was a fighter who had a record of 25 wins, three losses. So to get chucked in with that in your first fight as a professional... Um, was pretty impressive and he scored a fourth round knockout victory in it so from that fight he went on to his second professional fight was for the WBO featherweight title <laughs> in his second professional fight so they just like fast tracked him to the top because of his amateur school yeah well we've spoken I can't struggling to think of exactly who it was now but um, we spoke about a similar professional fighter wasn't it um, who, who'd done something so yeah. I've asked you why he was so quickly you know it's because he had such a um, a gleaming um, amateur record. Yeah, so it's not unheard of. It's, it's happened. No, it's not unheard of. Um, he lost it to Orlando Salido. Uh, he lost it on a split decision on points, so like as close as it can get. So his second professional fight, his third professional fight, was for the same title, which by this point had become vacated against a guy called Gary Russell Jr., who was an undefeated. I think he'd had about twenty-four fights at the time, and he won. Like Lomachenko won it so in his third fight he's world champion like a legit world champion as well not one bullshit like world champion so since then he's taken on some right toss so he signed with top rank uh, so Bob Arum's lot so again they it limits who you can fight so if you look at the other fighters in his division that are the champions you've got Lee Selby who fights for Al Heyman on top rank you've got Leo Santa Cruz who fights for Al Heyman <laughs> Uh, on PBC. So Lee Selby fought as well for PBC, which I uh, screwed up on a second ago. Santa Cruz fights PBC. And then you've got Gary Russell Jr., who he's fought before and beaten. So those are the other champions that he can possibly be taking on, one of which he's already beaten, two of which he's probably never going to be able to fight. Um, top rank don't have that many fighters in their stable, so they'd have to go outside to find him decent fights. Um... So, yeah, quite what do you do with him? I don't know. So, when you're saying only about... Could he sign with Al Heyman? He could do, if he managed to get out of his top rank contracts. I don't know how long that goes on for. But uh, Would that be his only option at this point? Possibly, case? yeah. But, I mean, the other option you were asking earlier about, could Rigondale go up in weight? So, there's, um, what, four pounds between the two of them. So, Rigondale's at 122 pounds at Super Bantam, and Lomachenko's at 126 pounds at Featherweight. Yeah. 
So Rigondeau has said previously that basically he's not his frame isn't designed for going up in weight. Like Super Bantam's about as high as he's ever going to get. Lomachenko's kind of said, well, why don't we meet in the middle? And he's saying, well, no, I don't want to meet in the middle. You come down. So there seems to be that sticking point. But the the point is that there's probably not that many options out there for either of them to take up aside from fighting each other. So whether or not that happened, it would be like an amazing fight for boxing purists. Sure, I was just about to say that because you've, like, you've got a Ukrainian versus a Cuban. It's not going to be a massive worldwide spectacle. No, absolutely. It? And there's two fighters that don't really, uh, they're not Draw spectacles. The <laughs> you know, they're, they're technically so very sound. But Lomachenko is not an entertainer either, nope. isn't it? <laughs> Um, so yeah, you would like to see the two of them. I say just based on their amateur records alone, it shows you their pedigree, mm. uh, the titles they've got between them, the Olympic gold medals, four Olympic gold medals between the two of them. It would be a hell of a fight though to watch. It wouldn't, yeah, something like that in theory ought to be a pay per view fight. Two world title holders, two gold medalists meeting in the middle, trying to work out who's the best. But it would never. It would struggle to sell a pay per view yeah, because yeah. given the given the there's not that lack much of audience ship as we've kind of touched on. Yeah, so I mean, you know, that's the three of them: the Ward, Rigondeau, Lomachenko. So the the only comparison I was going to try and draw between these three was then to throw in uh, Golovkin. Okay. Yeah. So you've got Golovkin, who's also he's from the same part of the world as Lomachenko. Um, now he's unbeaten. Significantly heavier, though, right? He's middleweight. Yeah. Right. Um, he's unbeaten, but. He's he's got an Olympic silver medal, so he didn't get his gold. Loser. Yeah, so knock him out. Um so Golovkin is now advertising Apple Watches. He, you know, just headlined his first pay per view versus David Lemieux. Um and he's catching on. But it's to me, like what's the difference is it's about styles, is Golovkin is going yeah, in there trying to tear your head off. He's got this ridiculous KO consecutive record. Um, you know, looking at the records between, say, him and Andre Ward, they've got very similar fight records. Um, you know, he's got more fights than both Rigondeau and Lomachenko, but Lomachenko and Rigondeau on paper should be bigger names than he is in the sport kind of thing, but it's the styles, it's the fact yeah. that, frankly, like, again, you could say that... Um, Golovkin is avoided within the division, so the winner of Cotto and Canelo should be fighting him, whether they will or whether they won't. I don't know. Um, Ultimately, it's an entertainment, uh, the entertainment factor. Isn't it's it? what it comes down to. Then entertainment. I mean, football suffers <coughs> from a similar sort of thing when you've got a team that's just defense, defense, defense. But it benefits from the fact that people are so um, loyal to their. When to Greece won the European Championships, nobody thought it was the greatest footballing exactly, display yeah. you've ever seen. It was businesslike. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the problem that all three of those fighters have got is they don't they entertain. Don't have, and they don't, but they don't have. Like, there's no way you can get. Well, it's, it's uncommon for a fighter to get um, such committed loyalty. I mean, even if you look at someone like Mayweather. Um, they say that half the people that tune in just want to see him lose. Yeah, but also the difference with Mayweather is he started his career in the lower weights, knocking people out, and going through <laughs> the weight divisions, yeah. knocking people out. So he has he has that in his locker. And he had it in his locker. He doesn't <laughs> these days at a higher weight, and he hasn't done it for a fair few years. But none of these three have ever shown the excitement that you'd have got out of a younger, lighter Mayweather. Um, so it's, I suppose the point is it's wasted talent. Like All three of them... Amir Khan is choosing to sit on his ass at home and wait for big fights. These three are chomping at the bit to get big fights, and yet nobody will take them on. Mm. 
It's politics, I guess. Yeah, it's politics. Is people, you know, <laughs> Quig Frampton will sell lots of pay-per-views over in England um, and people will lap it up. But, you know, when you're watching it, it's a bit like a Christmas commercial, isn't it, really? I think of a poor little Cuban sat at home <laughs> thinking I'd kick both their asses given the opportunity, <laughs> but nobody will, will give me a go. But, uh, yeah, anyway, it was, just, it was a topic, really, that I thought... Uh, Share some thoughts on. It was, it was very good, man. It was uh, it was entertaining and it was well. It took up twenty minutes. So. Yeah. Anyway, there's some fights next week. So we can talk about proper <laughs> boxing. <laughs> um, as you said, there's no news and no fights this week weekend, but we can preview the ones of the following weekend. This next next podcast. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Oh, um, Chris Eubanks going in the jungle. I found out today. Oh, really? I'm a celebrity. I thought he'd already be in there. Okay. I totally. I mean, I don't watch it, but well, that shows how um, hot on my reality TV knowledge I am. Um, yeah, you miss but, out, mate. But you've actually, I know for a fact that that's not even true because uh, it's English that's going in the jungle. You're a dick. <laughs> um, yeah. Right, I need to clarify something. Is his name Chris English? English Eubank or just English? English. English. So you, d- you just dropped both names. It's just English. Yeah, just English. So, yeah, he's going into the jungle, which, I mean, it doesn't hold any great significance in the world of boxing. The only thing you would say is that he's got his fight, uh, his son's got the fight coming up with uh, Spike O'Sullivan in December. Now, when in December, what, 14th, isn't it? Uh, 12th, I think, oh, isn't it? So, um, Eubank Sr. is very heavily involved. I mean, they've got Adam Booth in now um, to kind of double up with the other trainer in the camp. But Eubank Sr. is obviously very heavily involved in his son's career. So, coming up to, you know, probably, well, it's the biggest fight in his career at the moment. The biggest fight was possibly the Billy Joe Saunders one. But coming up to this, is it a disruption or... There's kind of part of me that thinks that Chris Eubank Jr. probably filled that fucking application form in <laughs> on behalf of his dad and went, how about you piss off, mate? Two weeks in the jungle. I will I will give you a fight for free. I will, I will donate all of the money that I get from my next fight to you guys if you ring up my dad and say, we desperately want you in the jungle. Yeah, <laughs> I suspect his entire purse is now going to be spent on just ringing that premium <laughs> late, late phone line, making sure his old man stays, stays in, in that jungle for the entire training camp. Yeah. Just to get him out That'd of the way. That'd be interesting if he, uh, if he absolutely destroys Spike Sullivan when his dad's not there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm, I think it starts like this weekend or something, so I'm assuming it'll be finished by the 12th of December. But I say whether or not it helps or hinders the preparation, I don't know. Do you watch that? Do you watch um, Celebrity Jungle? My, my wife does, so, so I will... Uh, yeah, I'm using that as a cover-up, so yes. Mate. I remember when that... Um, who me. was that bloke from E17? Brian Harvey. Yeah, a, I thought it was going to be blokes hanging your pizza by behind trees and st- behind trees and stuff. I didn't think it was actually <laughs> not going to give us food. <laughs> what you fucking retard? Yeah, but this is a man who managed to run his own leg over in a car. <laughs> <laughs> so not be too shocked. Oh dear. Uh, on that note. Okay, right. That's where we will say goodbye for today. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, we don't tend to do this enough, really. No. People can get in touch with you on Twitter. Uh, New Age Boxing UK. Well at done. New Age Boxing UK. Um, and you can email us at. Uh, no one emails these days, man. I know you said that. Get before. with the times. On, a, on the assumption that somebody might want to send something that contains more than 140 characters. That's <laughs> oh, <laughs> shit. We've all, we're on Facebook. Um, we're on Facebook. Um, and what is the search for New Age Boxing? <clears throat> yeah. Is that going to get me in? Yeah, possibly. I'm on uh, Instagram as well. There's oh, really? massively fit alpha male. Is that your name? No, I'm not on there. I don't understand. <laughs> oh, okay, so subscribe to Instagram. I just deleted it the other day. No, I don't, I don't understand it at all. 
It's just because we're old. No. Hashtag old. <laughs> Um, so yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, email it's knowledgeboxingpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, other than that, what's have to say is goodbye from me, and we'll see you um, around the same time next week. We're trying to juggle up uh, exactly when we can do the actual podcast, so uh, we're working out as we Keep go you on your toes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a surprise. You wake up in the morning, you check your phone, and ah, oh, there's a podcast ah. available. <laughs> um, so yeah, what's have to say is goodbye from me. Thank you very much. And we'll see you later. I'm gonna get it up, 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 get it